our show uh, because this is a a time when everyone is trying to figure out what exactly is the the Chinese play on this. And uh, uh, Gordon Chang will be joining us just a little bit later. Okay, there there's so many simple questions about this balloon. And uh, <laughs> first of all, where is it right now? I mean, yes, it's been spotted over Kansas City, Missouri. Uh isn't the main question, uh, how did it get here and why was nothing done when it was flying over uninhabited territory to bring the thing down? I mean, people talk about shooting it down. Isn't there some way that since the Chinese insist that this is not a spy balloon, they say it's a weather balloon, I mean, yes, it's big and apparently the payload that it carries, the the equivalent of a gondola underneath the balloon itself is the size of two or three uh, jumbo buses. It's it's big. Uh, I, I understand that they worry about the debris field, which could go on for 20 miles in every direction and could maybe have part of the falling pieces of that bus-sized material underneath the balloon smashing a kindergarten somewhere or harming people, but it was flying over Canada. And by the way, it's another question. The Canadians insist that there's a second balloon. I mean, that uh, basically, but that second balloon is also headed toward American territory. The Chinese say, well, that's just the way the wind patterns go. So why are they sending weather balloons over Montana where you can look it up, we happen to have 400 Minuteman ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear warheads, 400 silos for those missiles in the state of Montana. And uh, the entire situation is so bizarre. And some of the things that people are saying are so bizarre. Uh, speaking about things that People are are saying there's a, a statement by President Trump, uh, just uh, all in caps with an exclamation point. Of course, that's his style. Uh, he is uh, making a call for shoot it down. So are a number of other Republicans. And then what? And uh, how does that go? Uh, this is a, a, a reporter asking uh, the Brigadier General, who's the Pentagon spokesman on this issue, uh, at General Ryder. Uh, the reporter asks about the Chinese spy balloon violating our airspace. Uh, listen, this is clip eight. Uh, you said that this is uh, violating our airspace, so why not take it down? Yeah, so, uh, you know, clearly as we assess options, um, and considering the, the size of the payload on this, uh, looking at the potential for debris uh, and the impact on civilians on the ground or property damage, again, uh, running through the, the various factors and looking at uh, in terms of does it pose a potential risk uh, to people while in the air, and right now, as I mentioned, we, we assess that it does not pose a risk to people on the ground as it currently is traversing the continental United States. And so out of an abundance of caution, uh, cognizant of the potential impact to civilians on the ground uh, from a debris field, 
Uh, right now, we're going to continue to monitor and review options. Um, okay. And wouldn't you expect the president of the United States to uh, actually say something about this? Uh, this morning, President uh, Biden was taking a victory lap because of the wonderful news about the economy. And I'm not teasing. It is wonderful news. Uh, we are hitting the lowest unemployment rate, 3.4 percent, uh, where a lot more jobs were created last month than people expected. And uh, we we now have the better, best jobs numbers, the lowest unemployment that we've had in since the 1960s. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So he was taking a victory lap and he did not want to answer any questions about the mystery balloon. Uh, This is what it sounded like this morning. Uh, This is clip one. So I'm heading off to Philadelphia. And uh, if you want to ask me a question about the economy, but I'm not going to answer any question about anything else because you never will cover this. Mr. President, why did you take any blame for inflation, Mr. President? Taking blame for inflation? No. Why not? Because it was already there when I got here, man. Remember what the economy was like when I got here? Jobs were hemorrhaging. Inflation was rising. We weren't manufacturing a damn thing here. We were in real economic difficulty. That's why I don't. Thank you. Okay, uh, basically uh, not... Uh, eager to take questions on the balloon. Uh, Mark Esper, the former defense secretary uh, under President Trump, he actually spoke uh, clearly and forcefully the kind of speech you would expect to hear from the Biden administration. This is a problem, it seems to me, is that uh, this is one of those moments where, again, anyone who's paying attention to this It's a violation of U.S. sovereignty. It's a violation of U.S. airspace. It's a serious matter. What the hell do they think they're doing and why are they doing it right before uh, Blinken was scheduled to come and negotiate less of a confrontational atmosphere with the Chinese? We will get to that and get to whether this has any coordination with the situation regarding Russia and Ukraine. We'll be speaking to Ilan Berman about that and more coming up on The MedVet Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. Okay, that's the moon. It's a little fuzzy out here, and it's a kind of a cruddy phone, but it's slightly overcast. But what the heck is that? That's not the sun, and according to my little planet guide, it's not a planet. What the heck is that? Any help would be appreciated. That was Martin in Montana, who was commenting on seeing the uh, big balloon up in the sky. It is big. It's described in terms of relative to the size of buses. Uh, they say that if you take the uh, just the diameter of the balloon, uh, that uh, basically it's over 
three metro buses in length and the weight of the uh, payload of the gondola of the equipment underneath the balloon part, that apparently is the equivalent of at least two uh, big buses and maybe three. And that's what they don't want to explode all around people. The um, Washington Post reports uh, just very recently the spotting of a high-altitude surveillance balloon over the U.S. mainland has quickly spiraled into a diplomatic incident. U.S. officials say the object is a Chinese spy balloon, while Chinese officials called it a civilian airship. Uh-huh. Mainly used to track weather. And why precisely would it be sort of making its way uh, through the Aleutian Islands, through the center, the very sparsely settled center of Alaska, and then into Canadian territory, and then back down, crossing over to the United States, about where Glacier National Park is at the border uh, with Canada, and then into Montana. The... Um, Spy balloons, the Washington Post reports, have previously passed over the United States, but this object is unusual for loitering overhead for an extended period of time. And it was lingering, apparently, over areas in Montana where the United States has silos for our uh, nuclear uh, deterrence force and over 400 silos in the state of Montana. Um this is a uh, one of the very few statements that was very clear and unequivocal. This by the Pentagon Press Secretary, Brigadier General Pat Ryder, uh, clip 11. First of all, we are aware of the PRC's statement. Um, however, the fact is uh, we know that it's a surveillance balloon, uh, and I'm not going to be able to be more specific than that. Uh, we do know that the balloon has violated U.S. airspace and international law, uh, which is unacceptable. And so we've conveyed this directly to the PRC at multiple levels. Uh, and in terms of specific locations, uh, I'm not going to be able to go into specific locations again, other than to say it's moving eastward at this time. Yeah, you had a follow-up? Well, just a quick follow-up on uh, as people start to see the balloon, do you have any guidance for should they try not to interfere, not photograph? Uh, so the balloon is currently assessed to be at about 60,000 feet, so again, well above uh, the, the range of civilian air traffic or where civilian uh, air traffic would normally fly. Um, uh, certainly aware that there are cameras, uh, you know, civilian-owned commercial cameras that could spot this balloon um, in, in terms of um, guidance to folks. Again, this is something that NORAD is closely monitoring. Uh, we do assess at this time that it does not pose a physical threat, as I mentioned, uh, to people on the ground. Uh, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, the report, reporter went on to ask uh, General Ryder uh, the question on everybody's mind. Certainly it was on the mind of the former president, President Trump, who made a statement along these lines. Uh, listen, this is clip eight. Uh, you said that this is uh, violating our airspace, so why not take it down? Yeah, so... Uh, you know, clearly, as we assess options um, and considering the, the size of the payload on this, uh, looking at the potential for debris uh, and the impact on civilians on the ground or property damage, again, uh, running through the, the various factors and looking at 
in terms of does it pose a potential risk uh, to people while in the air. And right now, as I mentioned, we, we assess that it does not pose a risk to people on the ground as it currently is traversing the continental United States. And so out of an abundance of caution, uh, cognizant of the potential impact to civilians on the ground uh, from a debris field, uh, right now we're going to continue to monitor and review options. Okay, this is um, uh, contrary to the response of President Trump, who uh, uh, took to social media, to Truth Social, his own social medium uh, that uh, he owns and operates. He um, weighed in today and uh, had a very simple message, uh, all in capital letters with an exclamation point, of course, shoot down the balloon. And then he addressed another uh, social uh, media uh, message to President Xi of China. He uh, wrote, President Xi, sorry not to burst your bubble. Pardon me. He, what he wrote was, President Xi, sorry, not sorry to burst your bubble. But if you ever try to fly one of your cheap made-in-China balloons over the USA today again, we will fly some made-in-America fighter jets over Beijing. That, that was the direct message. Uh, there is a, uh, a different message from the Pentagon uh, <laughs> about what is going on. Uh, a reporter asked this of General Ryder this position of the balloon classified? Uh, Phil, right now, uh, what we're not going to do is get into a hour-by-hour hour location of the balloon. Again, we're monitoring it closely. Uh, I, as I mentioned right now, it's over the center of the continental United States. That's about as specific as I'm going to get. But I understand it might be inconvenient, but does the public not have a right to know if uh, the balloon the is over The public certainly state? has the ability to look up in the sky and, and see where the balloon is. Uh, Ryan Zinke, who used to be uh, the Secretary of the Interior briefly for President Trump, a Republican from Montana, he's now one of two Congress members representing Montana. And since this was flying or drifting or floating over Montana and spying presumably on some of the missiles below, uh, Zinke uh, was pretty direct in his tweet uh, response. And uh, he said, shoot, period, it, period, down, period. The Chinese spy balloon is clear provocation. In Montana, we do not bow. We shoot it down. Take the shot. Uh, it does require at some point today, and we'll go right to it as soon as that happens, some kind of clear response from the President of the United States, wouldn't you think? Uh, is this a big deal? And does it put us on the path to war? We'll talk about that with Elon Berman coming up. And 
on the Michael Medved show for the moment, at least, until something untoward happens with the uh, Chinese spy balloon. Uh, we we still have a, an active war going on, uh, and uh, before there's any conflict with China, we ought to talk about the prospects and the dangers of the current conflict between our ally in Ukraine and uh, the Russians. And uh, Ilan Berman has spoken with us about the war before. He is senior vice president of the American Foreign Policy Council in uh, Washington, D.C. He's an expert on regional security in the Middle East, Central Asia, and the Russian Federation, and has consulted for the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency as well as U.S. Departments of State and Defense. Uh, Ilan, the uh, CIA director, William Burns, just said that the next six months will be critical in the Ukraine war. Uh, he uh, said that President Vladimir Putin is betting that waning Western interest and political fatigue could afford his military a new chance at making battlefield gains. Uh, we spoke yesterday about reports from uh, the British tabloids that Putin was getting ready a new force of 500,000 more former convicts and others in, uh, in Russia to invade Ukraine again from two different directions. Is this uh, a, a concern that Putin could launch a new drive to put an end to Ukraine's independence and very existence as a nation? No, absolutely. And, and, you know, as the weeks have, have gone on, the likelihood of, of a uh, some sort of uh, repeat Russian offensive has grown pretty substantially. And that's what we're hearing out of Kiev. That's what the Ukrainian officials are really worried about. And what they're worried about, in addition, this is why the, the recent uh, German decision and American decision to send battle tanks to Ukraine becomes so important, is that the the Ukrainians are worried about the political front, as you mentioned, of course, but they're also worried about military overmatch. They're worried about the fact that Vladimir Putin cares far less about the individual Russian soldier than uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky cares about uh, the Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian armed forces. And so, uh, Putin seems perfectly willing to, you know, do another call-up order uh, to mirror, uh, you know, even larger than what he did in September, and to really uh, accelerate uh, these these military plans. And he's banking on, as you said, he's banking on this waning Western unity in support of Ukraine. Because as we see, right, all politics is local, and as we see the percentage of people who think that we've done enough or think that we should begin to pare back our support uh, for Ukraine has uh, gone up uh, significantly the longer the conflict goes on. So the clock, uh, the Ukrainians are painfully aware, is working in favor of Moscow and against Kiev. And uh, what what do they have in mind? There's also been talk that with these new tanks, uh, they can, at least with the German tanks, apparently get them operational pretty quickly, uh, that, that they might be conscious of that ticking clock and launch their own offensive to try to take back some of the territory that Russia had seized from Ukraine. Well, and, and that's right. And, and this is where I, I think things get a little bit tricky between Washington and Kiev, because um, right now, the idea that Ukraine needs to repel Russian aggression, the, uh, that Ukraine needs to maintain its independence, uh, you know, we pretty much see eye to eye with the Ukrainians. But 
if the Ukrainians really ramp up their own counteroffensive, if they push uh, against Russian forces, and if they push uh, even you know against the boundary of the Russian Federation itself, then you know I think very quickly uh, differences of opinion begin to materialize between uh, what policy planners in Kiev are thinking and what Western policy planners are thinking also, because increasingly you're hearing the voices uh, in Europe and in the United States begin to talk about the need for. Uh, some sort of compromise, the need for some sort of off-ramp for Vladimir Putin, right? This is a conversation we had before, but it's a conversation that's going to rear its head again, especially if Ukraine uh, really uh, sort of, you know, uh, if the wind is at its back and the Ukrainians are really winning. So uh, I don't discount the fact that, you know, while we may be seeing eye-to-eye with the Ukrainians right now, there's going to be pretty significant political differences maybe in the future. And uh, what about um, one of the delays that uh, is, I think, exacerbating strong supporters of Ukraine is the de- delay imposed by Turkey to uh, get Sweden and Finland admitted into NATO. I, I heard yesterday that uh, President Erdogan of Turkey was demanding that Sweden pass some legislation banning any desecration of the Koran as a price of admitting uh, Sweden and and uh, Finland into into NATO, is is that going to go anywhere? Is the Turkish government facing a tough election, going to pull back from its support of Ukraine? Well, this is really, I think, a fascinating story to watch because you're already beginning to see the the impact of Turkish pressure, right? So, so the the Turkish objection to Finland and Sweden, but especially Sweden, has its roots in. Uh, I, w- I would say uh, Sweden's uh, less than accommodating uh, response to Turkish policy, but also the way uh, Sweden has navigated its own influx of Muslim migrants, which the Turks, uh, the Turkish government doesn't like. And this all came to a head uh, when Sweden and Finland last year applied, decided to apply for membership and, and break decades of uh, neutrality. But for the Swedish, uh, the sort of the the wrench in the spokes of of the car was thrown a couple of weeks ago when there was a an anti-Muslim protest that was taking place in Stockholm, um, and the Turks have have really sort of you know hammered on that point to the point that they've said that they are going to block uh, Sweden's NATO accession, um, and uh, the uh, it's not clear to me whether or not they're going to hold fast, right? As you said, uh, Erdogan has a pretty tricky re-election coming up um, uh, in next month, in, in March. Um, but um, there, is a, uh, there is a sense that the, uh, the precipitating event, what happened in, in Stockholm, when, uh, sort of the, the reason the Swedes and the Turks are on the outs, may not have been a homegrown Swedish problem, right? If you begin to think about who benefits the most from this sort of disunity within NATO, uh, very quickly the solution, uh, the answer uh, becomes Moscow. So, you know, I'm hearing a lot of rumblings that this may not be, you know, these tensions exist, they're organic, but they may be being exploited by Russian-aligned actors as well. Wow. Uh, Okay, final question. Uh, Today, the all of America is concerned about this spy balloon by the Chinese. Would it be even more dangerous uh, for the United States if this kind of spy balloon were Russian rather than Chinese? Uh, well, I, I don't know about that. I mean, that, that's an interesting speculative question. I'm, I'm struck by the, you know, as I'm sure you're covering this uh, sort of 
in, in multiple hours. But uh, I'm struck by the Biden administration's non-response yeah. uh, to, to, to this balloon. It, it really it beggars the imagination because, um, look, I'm a, I'm a recovering lawyer, so I sort of I approach it from, from a legalistic framework. And when I was in school, I learned and it was drilled into me that uh, sovereign nations have absolute authority over the airspace above their territory, right? This is much more absolute than your territorial boundaries, much more absolute than your maritime boundaries. Essentially, uh, a country can do whatever it wants with errant objects that enter its, its airspace without its uh, legal say-so. So the fact that the Biden administration is making all sorts of excuses for not dealing with this it really, uh, for anybody who understands international law, it really looks like a position of weakness, not a position of strength. Yeah, and it also raises questions about some of the problems with an 80-year-old president. I mean, uh, the the fact that he has been so passive and invisible on this particular issue, on this particular day, is uh, extremely concerning. Ilan Berman, we've posted his most recent commentaries about the ongoing war in Russia and Ukraine, uh, posted at michaelmedved.com. And uh, when we come back, uh, the, uh, the idea of uh, what is going on in another hotspot in the world, in uh, Israel and uh, the Palestinian Authority. Coming up on the Medved Show. Your outlet for outrage. I'm not going to take this anymore. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, let's go live to Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who is speaking about the Chinese confrontation over the spy balloon. Listen. We find a way to work together as well. The United States will continue to act in a way that reflects that responsibility. We look to our PRC counterparts to do the same. Now, uh, the foreign minister and I just signed an important agreement that will guide our country's cooperation on science and technology in the years ahead. Uh, the agreement builds on one that we signed in 1992, which helped foster three decades of consequential collaboration. Our universities conducted joint research on cancer and climate change. Our governments have worked together to reduce air pollution, to promote research and development on semiconductors, which power modern technologies from cars to smartphones. Our businesses have partnered on life-saving vaccines and treatments, like the collaboration between the U.S. pharmaceutical company Moderna and South Korean biotechnology company Samsung Biologics to manufacture and a safe and effective COVID vaccine for the region. He's talking obviously about today's arrangement. With today's the agreement government, will expand the, the scope that of that cooperation, both in areas that we've long uh, worked together on, like space, but also in emerging fields like biotechnology, quantum, artificial intelligence. Uh, scientific cooperation is just one of many areas where our nations are working together to the benefit of our populations. Another is our shared security, an area where we have enduring ties as our troops continue to train and conduct joint exercises side by side. As President Biden has said, our alliance is the linchpin of peace, stability, and prosperity in the region, and is poised to grow stronger still with the launch of the Republic of Korea's new Indo-Pacific strategy this past December, which reflects our own shared interests and shared approaches to the region's most pressing challenges. But today, we reaffirmed our commitment to improving our allied defense against common threats as well as our commitment to defending the Republic of Korea using the full range of U.S. capabilities, including nuclear, conventional, and missile defense capabilities. Earlier this week, Secretary of Defense Austin met with President Yoon 
as well as Defense Minister Lee, in Seoul to boost our deterrence plan, including through even deeper information sharing on North Korean nuclear threats. We remain committed to the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. The Foreign Minister and I also discussed the importance of maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. We're increasing our trilateral security cooperation with Japan, which puts us on stronger footing to address shared security threats, including the DPRK's unlawful and reckless missile launches. Uh, we held a series of joint ballistic missile defense and anti-submarine warfare exercises this past fall. Uh, we're also deepening our trilateral collaboration on other security challenges, as well as on helping Pacific Island countries adapt to the growing impacts of climate change. We're working with other That's, countries uh, to advance... Secretary of State Antony Blinken. He is uh, meeting today with South Korea's Foreign Minister Park Jin uh, and uh, meeting in Washington. Park um, meeting with Blinken as part of a four-day trip to the United States, including a stop in New York, where he will also meet U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres and ambassadors to discuss security on the Korean Peninsula particularly surrounding recent developments in North Korea's nuclear program, which saw the launching of over 90 missiles last year. A further, Park will likely seek U.S. support for South Korea's Indo-Pacific strategy released in December of last year. And it's uh, very clear that um, Secretary of State Blinken is giving the Koreans that sort of support. One of the the good things in the world, the positive things, and we've talked about it before, is that right now there is um, solidarity among uh, the four closely allied nations and, and more, four closely allied nations, meaning the United States, Japan, uh, South Korea, and Australia, which is there south of uh, uh uh, Taiwan and China, and but in the vicinity, and plus additional cooperation with the Philippines and unexpected cooperation because President Duterte of the Philippines, who um, was not uh, a pro-American president, he was somebody who was shifting uh, the Philippines closer to China. That has stopped under President Marcos, and uh, this this is. Um, uh, by the way, The Hill reports, just flashed reports, that uh, Ukraine is warning that Moscow is regrouping hundreds of thousands of troops on the border for a massive new offensive just weeks before the first anniversary of Russia's invasion. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, yesterday gave a stark message to the West when he forecast that the Kremlin was building up its forces to take revenge. And uh, I, I mentioned before the uh, the ongoing difficulties that uh, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, we've been talking about, was addressing when he toured in the Middle East. And the the one thing that I think is is extraordinarily important, and we have a piece that's included in our newsletter that we're sending out today from a re retired deputy ambassador to the United States from Israel uh, named Yoram Ettinger, where he talks about the important aspect of relations between Israel and the Palestinians. The one thing that more than any other 
uh, gets in the way of negotiations or any kind of compromises that could bring those two sides closer to peace has to do with the the clearly anti-Semitic and radical propaganda that is churned out by the Palestinian Authority. The, uh, the news today uh, doesn't concern that, but yesterday there was a... And we played you the clip where the uh, ambassador from the Palestinian Authority to uh, the United Kingdom was asked on British media, would you condemn the murders of seven people, um, most of whom were elderly, but uh, some of whom were young, a young couple that had come out to rescue people as they were being shot on the street by a terrorist who later was brought down himself. But the ambassador was asked, do you condemn this kind of terroristic killing? And he totally refused. No, but this is, uh, we, we don't condemn it. And in fact, they celebrate it. And as, as long as there is not agreement on the principle that terrorism and that murder of innocent people, you have no idea what, even what the opinions of those people might be. And you're killing them simply because they are, are, are Jewish people who choose to go to synagogue in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel and has been the functioning capital of Israel, you could say for time immemorial, but certainly since 1948 and the emergence of the Israeli state. Uh, today, uh, President Macron in France was hosting Prime Minister Netanyahu, and uh, he raised alarm over Iran and Iran's headlong nuclear rush. At a warm Paris uh, dinner summit, the Israeli premier urged Europeans to up sanctions on the Islamic Republic. The French president uh, called in return for calm with the Palestinians. And uh, meanwhile, when it comes to foreign policy and seeking peace, President Trump was asked how he would end the war in Ukraine, which he has promised never ever would have happened if he were still president. Here is uh, President Trump's response, clip three. It can be negotiated, I think, within 24 hours. Uh, it really has to be done from the office of the president. And you have to get them both in a room. And there are things you can say to each one of them, which I won't reveal now, which will guarantee that this war will end immediately. And they have to do it. Okay, uh, there's a tweet of the day, actually, that uh, was uh, posted in response to that. Uh, and uh, that uh, tweet of the day is from Ron Filipowski, Filipkowski, who uh, writes, Trump says World War III is about to break out and the entire world is going to be destroyed, but he has the solution to prevent it, which can solve the problem in 24 hours and save everyone from death and destruction. But he won't tell anyone what it is unless you make him president again. Well, I, I guess that's, uh, that, that's the idea. Uh, when we come back on the Michael Medved show from the break, we'll be speaking about the latest from President Trump, who had been quiet for a while, but he is ramping up his campaign. 
and he has taken a very strong position and very controversial position that he will not necessarily support the nominee of the Republican Party and would consider a third-party independent campaign of his own. What does that mean politically for the future of the Republican Party? We'll talk about that with uh, Paul Kangor of the Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, right here in this greatest... Hi.